I just didn't see that she thought highly of herself or her abilities. And so I kept saying, no, don't shoot for the ground, shoot for the stars. I had to walk away from all these things because I knew I wanted to live. And I knew I, I believed that I had so much more for me because there was no reason why my life was filled with so much pain and hurt. And I loved so deeply. But I couldn't love myself like that. And I couldn't understand that. It was about them loving them, getting to know themselves, spending time with themselves, understand that they are the most important thing in these relationships. Because until they change within themselves, it's not going to spread out to those that they love. My passion was to go back out here in the community and give back to the same neighborhood where I grew up, where I battled with my addiction. The other people I knew were broken, people I had sat by, people that I lived with. Um, and I started serving them. Welcome to Homeward Indy, a bi-weekly conversation where we meet the people working to end homelessness in Indianapolis and hear their stories. I'm Elliot Zanz. And I'm Steve Barnhart. Hello, Homeward Indie listeners. I'm excited to introduce today's guest, the incredible Joy Jameson, shelter manager and lead case manager at Dayspring Center. I have worked with Joy on multiple occasions in my role at CHIP, and she is one of the best people I know. Welcome, Joy. This is a friendly reminder that the views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they belong to or represent. Thank you for joining us today, Joy. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. I understand you work for an organization called Dayspring Center. Yes. Maybe before you explain a little bit about what Dayspring Center does, is just tell me a little bit about what your role is within the organization. I'm actually the shelter manager as well as um, the lead case manager at Dayspring Center. Okay, so um, kind of have two jobs? I have two roles, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I manage the um, shelter staff um, who monitor the floor, um, and I also um, provide case management for the families. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, let's get right to what Dayspring does. You've already mentioned that mm-hmm. you have a shelter which mm-hmm. provides residents. Mm-hmm. You do some case management, mm-hmm. but tell us a little bit more about Dayspring Center. The uh, Dayspring is an emergency shelter um, for homeless families um, operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. We have 14 rooms which can has a capacity to hold um, um, up to 60 individuals. Um, so it's generally family units? Correct. Um, it, it, the, the qualifications are you have to be a family with children. Oh, okay. It doesn't. It could be a non-traditional family. We are the only shelter that allows um, families that are not married. They're mm-hmm. non-traditional. It could be same-sex couples. It could be a mother, a grandmother with a grandchild that has custody. It's just there's no stipulations as mm-hmm. um, it relates. But we are the only shelter in Indiana that offers that. Mm-hmm. But the common denominator it always involves children. children. Correct. And you define children as what, eighteen and below? Eighteen and under. Okay. Correct. Okay. How long do you provide that shelter? So it's it, the the general rule of thumb they say thirty to forty five days. Mm-hmm. But honestly, um we have families that 
actually stay five to six months, um, especially with the climate, especially since COVID and the housing market and with the barriers that some of our um, residents present and trauma through the entire family unit. Mm-hmm. It's almost impossible to find somebody. It's not enough for anything. But it is intended to be a short term mm-hmm. solution. How do the families get to you? Honestly, they call. Okay. Most individuals call and they call. We don't hold rooms. We don't reserve rooms. Um, If there's an availability when someone calls and we have a room available, um, we will um, schedule them for an intake that day um, or the next day, whichever day they can come in and mm-hmm. start the process. So you don't have a waiting list. No. So based on my experience, because actually I've actually been employed with Dayspring since September, but I've also volunteered with Dayspring um, even through college. And I have knowledge of it from growing up in the community and even partnering just even as an individual who lived in a community donating. So, um, so that's that's actually how you got started with yes. it. Yeah, uh-huh. not as an an employee, mm-hmm. but but just as just a person. Just communi- in the community. Oh, okay. the, had, had aware and actually using some of the services when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in hearing more mm-hmm. about your story. But back to Dayspring. So uh, a family just learns of you somehow through mm-hmm. somebody says, hey, call Dayspring or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. They make the phone call. Mm-hmm. What happens at they, that point? Uh, the shift supervisors who typically take the phones, mm-hmm. um, they conduct the initial phone assessment. Um, they go over a list of expectations, what we'll need, what the expectations are for them. Um, and we ask them, is this something they think they can, you know, would would they still want to come to Dayspring? Yeah. And they'll either agree or not. What um, are some of those expectations on both sides of it? So some of the expectation is, you know, we let them know that it's a 30 to 45 day shelter. They must participate in case management. You know, are they, they can't be um, under the influence of drugs or alcohol while at the shelter. Um, some of the, when they come, you know, we can only have one bag per person so we mm. let them know that you can only bring one bag per person that's a lot but we don't limit the size of the bag it could be yes. a big contractor okay. bag um because their spaces are small and limited mm-hmm. um and you know they want to have the room to be able to get around we just don't have the storage to have that and then we uh, one of the things we let them know we don't ha- we're not handicap accessible mm. our shelter is on the second floor we don't have elevators and it's up and down stairs so we let them know that you have to be able to get up and down the stairs on your own right. because they their lunch is downstairs, just exiting and requirements. So just things like that. Mm-hmm. And then what do you explain to them that you will be providing to them? Obviously housing for a period of time and case management, anything mm-hmm. else? So actually we don't do that in the initial intake. Okay. M- most of that type of conversation of what we offer comes with the case management meeting gotcha or then they'll ask more questions when because once they enter the shelter they come in this is when the actual intake happens and we go over a lot of we just do enter all the we start gathering information that do the assessment mm-hmm. um to enter into hmis this captures um all the demographics um their experiences uh, domestic violence disabilities just anything that they may have mm-hmm. the barriers mm-hmm. um, identifying barriers so this is a little more extensive in that place but then when we really try to explain what they'll receive 
it happens with case management. So I assume that's different for different folks mm-hmm. that find themselves in different kinds of circumstances. Correct. Because yeah. we have people that may come in because honestly, um, somebody may have um, a temporary something set back or an mm. issue where they're living and they need to have somewhere to stay and can't afford to go to a hotel. Or But they know there's going to be something mm-hmm. coming afterwards mm-hmm. that they can go to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have others who probably come and they don't know what their next step. Most 95% don't know. Most most everybody. It's just rare that I have this small percentage of someone mm-hmm. who may say, hey, we just need to be here for a week. Um, I'm just waiting on this. We're in this phase. Something happened. Like mm-hmm. when all those apartments uh, they didn't pay their bills and the water and the gas and mm-hmm. how these people were impacted by that. And But they had other things in place, but they just had to wait. Yes. Um, or IHA didn't couldn't yeah. um you know they were hacked and people couldn't access their vouchers or couldn't go into they were in transitions mm-hmm. so you know s- situations like that but that's a very that's small a small percentage, percentage mm-hmm. of of the people you're serving mm-hmm. in general what are some of the common circumstances that you see in your clients um just the wages um the wage gap, the, the people not earning a wage, you know, uh, a living wage, um, mm. being able to take care of their family. Most all of our residents have some form of undiagnosed mental health mm. that may be related to trauma. Okay. I think everyone that I have not, I've come across everyone has had some form of untreated trauma. You know, mm. um, I've, really been trying to find ways to be as impactful to help them make different decisions using critical thinking like at the prefrontal cortex instead of staying in this fight or flight Mm -hmm. because everyone is most definitely in a fight or flight Mm -hmm. when they come and Mm so and that's been one of the biggest challenges yeah so Money, though, I assume is also an issue Mm -hmm. that you're wrestling with. Do Mm -hmm. these people, are they always without employment or sometimes they have employment or usually they have employment? A lot of our, a lot of our um, residents are employed. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So they're holding a job yet for some reason they find themselves without Mm -hmm. housing. Yes. And how does that happen? Um, it could be domestic violence. It could be, um, I, I remember when I was growing up, I always thought it was like the drug addiction. You hear, oh, they're just, yes. you know, um, underemployed, you know, having gainful employment, lack of skills because the requirements starts changing. Mm. Um, you know, uh, you know, you see these people working in these places, they're making multi millions or, or even billions of dollars and the m- amount of money, the percentage of what they pay for wages that are going into their profit and they're growing, growing, growing. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's sad. Um, a lot of landlords and stuff. Now I, I saw recently on the news that we are second behind New York in our rent increase. It was 300% and New York was 300%. Um, that didn't make sense to me, mm-hmm. you know, just it's it's low, it's not a lot of affordable housing in our community. Mm-hmm. We also battle with like our baby boomer generation and the emphasis has been placed on senior apartments um, that there's not as much um, true um, affordable housing that's being developed 
for families, for families, for younger families. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what would be a typical age for your residents? I know they have children, but it could be a grandmother or grandfather. Um, I've I've had honestly, um, I've had people who were eighteen or nineteen as the head of a household. Mm. Um, they may have a loss in their family. Um, come from foster care. Um, and have children, and then I've had older adults, um, 60, 70 years old, that are families, and they are caretakers, and actually actually have children. So you're describing to me, and you tell me if I'm correct here, that the majority of your residents, obviously they they lack money, but it's not necessarily because they don't work or aren't willing to work. It's just that they don't earn a living mm-hmm. wage. And the other circumstance that they find themselves in is they have experienced this trauma in their life that causes them to not be able to think long term. Is that kind of it or, or, you know, or not knowing how to manage their emotions? Because I think a lot of individuals, one of the things that I do is like, um, they're on a defense, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I can only imagine how it feels as a parent to come into a place that, and I've been living free the way that I wanted to my life and now I'm coming into a place that's telling me you have to follow and abide by these rules. Mm-hmm. I start seeing all of this. Um, like I'm a grown up. Don't do this. You can't tell me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and I, and I try to encourage people that you have a choice. Um, I use, I try to do a lot of, um, it's a lot of anger sometimes a lot of hurt mm-hmm. a lot of pain that you see come out and a lot of resistance of not believing or the expectation is i'm gonna come to this place they're gonna give me section eight they're gonna pay my first month rent or my last month rent and we're, we don't do any of that mm-hmm. we empower them or walk beside them and provide them with resources and accesses and say okay if there's a barrier i can help meet um because the executive director of dayspring doesn't want to have like a day care center there and provide the transportation. Mm-hmm. And then for 30 days, you get the job, you get this stuff. Now you're off on your own. You don't have right. access anymore. So it's sort of setting them up for failure. Yes. We try to teach them how to get what they need and say, okay, well, what can I do differently? What's out there? How can I access it? How can I find out or how can I learn about it? And you're providing that space, both in mm-hmm. terms of shelter and time. Mm-hmm. To hopefully you as a case manager in working with those families mm-hmm. to, to get out of that fight or flight mm-hmm. mode and be in a better place mm-hmm. to do that. Because you implied that without changing their mindset, it's probably not going to help them mm-hmm. in the long run. It won't probably unless something happens after that. I'm not going to say we yes. end all, but I have, we have an important, we have an opportunity Mm-hmm. Um, even just to plant the seed, you know, and just even if they walk it for a little bit, because I've yeah. seen some drastic changes, yeah. and it's so encouraging. I just like, oh my god! Tell us a little bit about that. Some of the clients that you've worked with, not not with names, right. but just in general, how things have gone. I've had where some, um, I know one family in particular, um, she actually 
just just was really didn't believe in herself was really low motivated um no matter what wasn't uh, like uh, wouldn't get up and go and wouldn't move just always was trying little things and latched on to other residents and wouldn't set herself apart of saying what can I do with my time like mm-hmm. um and this was a mom it was a mom with children yeah young mom and um ultimately and I think she was probably there about six months um but one of my requirements if you're going to make it past the 30 day you're gonna have to show me that you're doing something and then mm-hmm. I'll extend it two weeks and when you come back to case management because we meet weekly show me what you've done to accomplish and I'll keep extending it mm-hmm. like two weeks until we get it and then we start working progress one person really has a good job with the state now um has a nice apartment really nice apartment um, bought a nice car, a really nice car over this time and saved all this. I mean, just really starts changing, saving her money. She stopped sitting in the hallways, just um, not doing much, just latching on people saying, what can I do? Oh, what was me? But really started getting up and going and getting up and going was more communicative because she was really silent and she would mm-hmm. only speak to the other residents. And she was real mannerable um, and pleasant, but mm-hmm. she just, just, she just like, had didn't have motivation to mm-hmm. make those steps in her life. What do you think? made that change Trauma. i think i think that somebody just talking to her and encouraging say okay well paying attention mm-hmm. and not just going yeah i don't know what the past was of how people you know may have talked to her or spoken to her or maybe was demeaning towards her but whatever she thought of herself um i just didn't see that she thought highly of herself mm-hmm. or her abilities and so i kept saying no don't shoot for the ground shoot for the stars i said i believe that anything out here is my um i can have access to I, anything mm-hmm I said, the sky is the limit. We limit ourselves. And so one of the things I did with our, because we did um, weekly meetings for the residents, like a space to communicate. And I would come down and say, I would come down and we'll start off with like a, I didn't want to go with rules. Everybody's violating rules. Let's do this. It was more, okay, so um, I'm going to just do a uh, brain teaser and the kids would participate in the moms. And then I would say, I would leave them with a homework assignment. I say, do something for yourself. Like when we come back, you need to tell me what you've done next week, what you've done to love on you. I said, even if it's going outside, looking at a leaf and not for your kids, not for your spouse, not for your significant others. Something that you did was intentionally for you. Hmm. And we're going to talk about that. So it wasn't just these things. It was about them loving them, getting to know themselves, spending time with themselves, understand that they are the most important thing in these relationships, because until they change within themselves, it's not going to spread out to those that they love or be able to make a different change. I assume you believe that one because you've seen people change mm-hmm. for the better. Also because you've seen people who aren't willing to do that just get stuck. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like that's something you've maybe experienced mm-hmm. a little bit too. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering where that comes from or how you arrived at that. I grew up, like I said, in the community, and it is a poverty-stricken community. Um, I, My mom and father divorced when I was young, and we ended up living in that community. My grandmother owned houses, and um, I was with a tight family that not exposed to drugs or anything like that, but I went through trauma as a child through family and stuff like that um mm-hmm. my mom was in college she divorced she started struggling with four children raising them on her own um ultimately you know we were in situations where we had to go live with other people but my grandmother kept a house for us so we always had somewhere to live that we grew up okay um but eventually i 
as a young adult through trauma that I had not dealt with and not gone through, you know, I battled with a lot of different things and it ended up causing me to be homeless. Mm. Um, I lived with, I moved, I lived homeless and I was seven of us living in a homeless shelter in California. And, um, what age were you then at that age when I, uh, I started battling actually with homelessness around 21, but finally ever going to a homeless shelter, I may have been like 20, it was maybe in 2003, I believe that's when I went, 2003, 2004. Mm -hmm. Let me see, about 19 years ago, so I'd have been like 31, 30, okay. 30 somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I finally just started focusing and saying, I'm determined with my family, like we're going to do something different. Like it was... Uh, a girlfriend, her children, and my dad and my son. But I was just following my dad, trying to have a relationship with my dad, um, trying to heal from trauma. A lot of the stuff that I went through, and I was determined that all these demons and battles I was fighting, I said, I got to face them. And a lot of them needed me to come for me to confront with my dad. And I was following my dad, trying to heal, mm-hmm. and we ended up in a place. But mm-hmm. Was there anybody along the way that that – motivated you in that way or was there a circumstance i'm wondering you know what what caused you to turn that corner of saying i'm gonna i'm determined and I, because i kept trying mm-hmm. but in 2006 um i've eventually um i battled with an addiction i said i'm not doing this anymore i went to my mother and i asked her to just I asked my mother to, you know, just come pick me up. This is something I'm getting ready to fight. I stopped smoking cigarettes. I just stopped everything. And I just said, Mom, I just need to come with you. And I went to this church with my mother, and I just started from there. And so mm-hmm. that's where I started reaching out to everybody who was out there. People just be like, why are you out here? You don't belong here. Why are you here? I said, no, I, I wanted to belong. I wanted somebody to love me for all these years. I just felt like I I was missing mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. And, again, I've been I was being abused from five sexually abused for years and a lot of things were happening to me so when I became an adult and I and I ended up having a son and he was a product of rape mm. um I was damaged um I just had this big heart that wanted somebody to love me and I was just abused and people walked all over me and just mm. and then finally I, in 2006 I said mom I can't do this anymore um can you come and get me and I said nobody's after me I'm not doing anything I just I'm just tired and she she was here in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And I was you here. were I was here. You were back here mm-hmm. at that point. I didn't stay with my dad long. Okay. Um, you know, when my girlfriend died. Um but like I said, I battled with an addiction maybe like for twelve years where it was off and on. It wasn't constant, but it was still an addiction. Mm-hmm. And I um I just I just was just tired. I wanted peace and then finally at a group of people, my mom's church, they just accepted me for who I was. They allowed me to do things, and my passion was to go back out here in the community and give back to the same neighborhood where I grew up, where I battled with my addiction. The other people I knew were broken, people I had sat by, people that I lived with, um, and I started serving them. How old were you then? Do you I think? was 33. It was in okay. 2006. I remember because one of my friends said it was my birthday, and it was a guy that would pick me up because I would work. And he said, Joy, where are you going to do? He said, "You're today. You're 33." He said, "You know, this is you're the same age as Jesus was when he died." Mm. And I said, "Huh?" And I had just been thinking and thinking, 
because and because people always reach out to me and say you too good to be out here you too nice you too kind mm-hmm. and i and i said okay and i in july of two, two july 14 2006 i walked away mm-hmm. and haven't turned back only to go back and help mm-hmm. so what do you think were the really important ingredients to you being able to make that transition from that age of 33 when you said I got to change to where you sit here today obviously helping so many um you mentioned community mm-hmm. that's a big part of it where mm-hmm. you felt accepted well, anything else that comes to mind that that maybe worked and didn't work during that phase I, I was I'm always been a deeply reflective person and a very compassionate and empathetic person. But I, my mother always instilled in us that we could do these things. She was always very encouraging. Mm -hmm. She was very stern, but she was like, you know, she just did this. I had to face my demons. I had to face everything and I had to be open, honest and transparent. So that was a big part of it. It's just, just being open are you talking about just with yourself or with, with others? With myself, with others. Um, I was determined. I said, that this is my path and I'm going to do this. And I put rules. I gave myself boundaries and rules. Um, so, for instance, I knew what was important for me, for me to remain sober and for me to uh, to be achieve these goals, these great things I wanted to in life. Mm-hmm. I knew that. I needed to do this on this day or be here. I wouldn't accept a job. You know, people accept anything. I knew what I needed to have. I see. You were being a little more strategic mm-hmm. and intentional. It's a good word nope, for I it. I can't do it on Tuesday. I'll go apply for a job. I can't do it Tuesday. I can't do this on Saturday after 4 because I go to church on Saturday after 4. Tuesdays at 6 p.m. I have Bible study. And so things I wouldn't avoid. These things were important. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't let anything take that or distract you, me from you, that. You put those big important things mm-hmm. there and I'm going to work everything else mm-hmm. around those. And so if anything came outside of that, even though how good it looked, say, Oh, there's some good money. I said, Ugh. no, I can't take it. These are my goals. These are my promise. I'm sticking to them because these things are helping me. These are important. And so now these come outside of that. And then I went on and I just think, you know, ultimately I graduated with my master's degree in social work from IU. Um, um, head of the class, top uh, honor society, two different mm-hmm. ones. And I have also, uh, I'm not too far away from my human resources and business management. Like I just started applying myself. What can I do? And believe, I mean, it just felt good. I started overcoming obstacles and I said, I can do this. And it was encouraging. So mm-hmm. one step, each success made it kept building, building. fueling. It was, it was fueling my fire. Yeah. And my passion. Uh, that's a great story. Mm-hmm. And, Apparently, all along the way, though, you, I assume it wasn't just a, uh, once you made that decision at age 33, if that was really the turning point for you, it wasn't like it was all upward from there. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of drama still, the pain, death, loss, um, setbacks. Um. What made the difference to not allowing those setbacks to mess up your your path forward I was just determined I, it wasn't 
and I would talk whenever I was telling one of my friends just today, I said, um, the very fact that I had people in my corner that I could just talk to no matter what to help me process my thoughts and to go through and say, okay, what am I thinking? No matter how unreasonable, unrealistic or what I felt, um, people were there openly, non-judgmentally helping me to walk through it and helping me to process, um, whatever came up. Cause it was like an onion. Cause you never know when you start healing and things surface that you didn't realize this was a trigger or that was a trigger. Mm. And I had people, I had a support system. It was very important that, that I had you, a support system. You had a support system where you could be totally honest Yep. and say, this is where, I, where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it was a combination of what was going on inside you and having that mm-hmm. support system. Mm-hmm. How has that experience affected what you do today? It. It's one of the driving factors that caused me to be that for others. Okay. Um, but I also know that people can drain on you. I've also learned balance. Mm. Um, and I have to be stern at times and say, you know, there's a choice here. Yeah, you talked about <laughs> that. You talked about that. People, you know, like if you, you're going to get another two weeks here unless yeah. we see this progress. That's got to be kind of tough to do mm-hmm. at this it seems like it would be hard to balance that I'm going to accept you right where you are with that. Mm-hmm. There's these expectations. Mm-hmm. Cause you have to have them. Even when I left, I put rules on myself. I didn't go out. I didn't stay out plus work. I would, I didn't even have a vehicle and my mother was never the person to pick us up. She taught us as young to be very independent um, and self-sufficient and to make decisions. And we had to con- handle consequences. She didn't come and save us out of our stuff like people did on TV. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's on TV. Right. So I, I had to go to work. I had to go to I signed myself into a treatment like a partial place um, like for just come in like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Those were important. So I could not go to those. So everything that I knew that was a part of my plan. Um, I did parenting classes. I did. Um, all these things and I would get up in the morning at five in the morning I would pack a lunch I would get dressed for the day and I would be gone from five in the morning until 10 at night catching the bus from one program to the next program to my job from two to ten and then catching the bus back home um on 62nd Allisonville and I did that and on Tuesdays this is one day I had to go to Bible study and Saturday after four I would get up and still go to work and um I it was just I stayed busy Sunday was my reflective day and Tuesday was my day to like really just pay attention and journal. I journaled and talked about emotions and feelings and mm-hmm. stuff because I was in a relationship at the time I walked away and I had to walk away from her. You know, mm-hmm. I had to walk away from this. I had to walk away from all these things because I knew I wanted to live. And I knew I, I believed that I had so much more for me because there was no reason why my life was filled with so much pain and hurt. And I loved so deeply, but I couldn't love myself like that. And I couldn't understand that. Mm-hmm. So, Tell me a little bit more about how that affects in you working with individuals. I know you're saying there has to be love and expectations, but what does that look like for those folks that you are, I don't know if counseling is the right word, mm-hmm. but you're the case manager for, mm-hmm. you're their, their resource for mm-hmm. this period of time. 
tell me about how that goes and how it's changed maybe even over the years, if it has changed. Um, it's changed because um, where I used to, when I first started, even without the experience of education, just the desire, the zeal, mm-hmm. I would just go out and I try to do everything needed. I would just, I literally would tell them, hey, I want to go on Washington Street where all the prostitutes at. I don't, and just take them flowers and give them a bottle of water and write a saying on this card and say somebody loves you. Or if there's a need and I'll just say, oh, I'll pick you up. I don't even know you. I'll be over here. I'll pick you up and I have a van and I'll move you because I see they're going through their stories. You had such great passion. And I just did it all the time. And it's like the the mayor, the mayor, um, the one before Ballard, um, I forget his name, but his somebody had gotten raped right on the street where I used to grow up, where I grew up. And I just left Carmel. I was living in Carmel. I just drove all the way down there. I started talking in the mayor's office. Some person heard me. They partnered with me. Pen Products created a logo for me, drew it, and I just said, I, this is what I want. Gideon's Army, find a need, meet it. That's all I believed. Find a need, meet it. I went out to Dollar General's everywhere. I had boxes put up, and I, I took those items and started donating to Dayspring because what they didn't know was when they used to have that kitchen, they would serve the community. I was one of the people that would come in and eat the lunch at 12 o'clock mm-hmm. and get food because I was hungry, and so their clothes been, were there. you've been served by Dayspring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you went through this period where you were just zealous. Mm-hmm. And it just kept going. But I learned that there had to be wisdom because people would be, I'll become an enabler. Mm-hmm. And so I had to learn, okay, how can I, I may have the passion, but how can I sort of like the um, saying, you, you can give a person a fish, they'll eat for a day, but you teach them their feed. give them, you know, teach them the fish they'll eat for a lifetime. Right. So I said, okay what it looks like now um i may have somebody who's really upset has a lot of expectation um for us to give 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 and fix um may get angry and get really i have um maybe get angry at me and get mad at me say you just disappear they not come to their case man i said okay you know i don't chase them i said okay then when i when i get them i say hey you know it's you signed this agreement that you would come to case management you are aware that you have to be here. Like this is a requirement. We've said it at the front end. We said it here. Yeah, but you weren't here at an exact time or this, this and that or their feelings are hurt. I said, I get that. So I apologize because, but I was in another meeting that ran over. Mm-hmm. I actually did this, this and this was going off. I can call or do whatever I want. Boom, boom, boom. They'll be going off on me. I said, okay. I said, um, but ultimately this is your life. Like no matter what I do or anyone else does, it's your choice. You are only going to get from it what you put into it. Like, I can't I can only tell you that these things are here. I'll go out now and I'll see jobs, go to job fairs and just go pick up a lot of job fairs and put mm-hmm. them up in this shelter. Um, I'll reach out to people and say, hey, what can we do this? This needs to happen. Nobody. You know, I say, what can I do? Who can I get in touch with? Um, I have people from other. We have a large Haitian population starting to come into Indianapolis and. I don't, I don't know how to help. I, you know, I don't know, but use Google translator because we don't have translator. Mm. We have limited funding. I know one particular instance, I kept, found a number online and I kept calling. They would never answer. I just jumped in my car, went over there and knocked on the door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, Hey, hi, what resources do you offer? You know, because I mean, I, so I, I, they see that I'll get out and go do yes. my part. I said, I went and did this for you. I went, mm. I've been riding around looking at daycares, knocking on saying, do you have anything for infants? What do you offer? What is your program? Can I meet with you? Can we do this? Go on partner with the schools. 
you know, what can we do? You know, I, so I go out and do that when they see that, just like for the 4th of July. Yeah. So it's not like you're telling folks, hey, you need to just do it on your own. You're saying, I'm here to help, but mm-hmm. you have to do. Mm-hmm. Your- I'll get in the car with you. Come on, let's go. Let's ride. Let's go. Just go see why this isn't, you know, yeah. what's, what's happening. What a story. Mm-hmm. One of the things we like to do as we wrap up here is I'm sure there's going to be people who are inspired by what your story here and what mm-hmm. you're doing. How can they be of assistance to Day Spring? So we rely on a lot of, we don't get a lot of government funding. We rely on donors um, and individuals and organizations that like donate time. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we have a volunteer department where people can come in and they can volunteer to even prepare meals for the family okay. and serve the family. Okay. Um, we have people donate items cause we take care of, we follow them even after when they leave or complete and move into the community. Okay. We'll, yeah, we we'll, didn't get into that, yep. but yeah, it, the, your involvement with them doesn't end, end mm-hmm. at the end of their living there mm-hmm. in your shelter. They go into follow-up case management, and we have another case manager okay. who handles that. Um, Carol, she goes out and she follows them to still provide resources. Like we have summer camp, mm-hmm. we actually have Holy Families, children from Holy Family, as well as our follow-ups, um, as well as and and our um, children from within the shelter that are in this eight-week summer camp that we're providing all of these services for, um, free of charge for all of these families Mm -hmm. during the summer months Mm -hmm. i assume where the kids aren't in school school, mm -hmm. so they need a place Mm -hmm. we have like training we have tutoring um available on tuesdays uh, tuesday through thursday monday through thursday for the families between this time i'm I'm Mm -hmm. like five to six um so that would maybe be a place that volunteers could help is even with that summer camp, mm-hmm. is that correct? Well, we hire people to do the summer camp, mm-hmm. but we do. We are starting to work. I was speaking with the executive director last week of us possibly trying to get the playroom because we have people, for instance, somebody gets the opportunity to get a really great job. Daycare is really hard to find right now, yes. especially since COVID. It's like limitates people on weeks. Mm-hmm. People are coming into the shelter or wanting to start their work or they may need to go to a training or may have to do something. There's no daycare in the summer hours and parents have to have their children with them at all times. Um, We may need people to come in and volunteer. We're going to try to get the playroom open where we have people um, that of course through a background check to be able Mm -hmm. to sit there and volunteer and just monitor the children for maybe an hour or two or provide support there. Um, I have people that volunteer at the shelter desk that answer the phones, provide resources. Um, they help me with fouling because we're real antiquated on our paperwork. Okay. <laughs> um, so I have a lot of documentation that I have to get together and keep track of and put in Excel mm-hmm. um, documents. Um, in fact, when I leave here today, I'll be interviewing a, a student from IU um, so I could see if she could perform a practicum at day spring and I'll supervise her and I have BSW and MSW level mm-hmm. students. We're starting to expand to get into the community and find oh, good. Yeah, pretty much anything. Good. Yeah. So how does a person get in contact with day spring or you, or how does, how does that work? Okay. So, um, the day springs telephone number is 317-635-6780. Um, the volunteer coordinator is Janice Cox. And then our donations coordinator is Demontre, uh, Bailey. 
Um, either one of those can provide with resources, like any type of donations requests. We can go through Demontre; he can assist, and then Janice will help with any type of volunteering. Um, what kind of donations are you in particular looking for? We need anything you can imagine to live by: food, um, clothing. We provide all of their toiletry items, toilet paper, especially toilet paper. So you don't paper expect towels. them to come with anything but their personal belongings. That's it. That one bag of clothes. We feed them three meals a day. Um, now, it might not be the meals they always want to have. But <laughs> 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 their own cooking the yes, way they do. But right. three meals a day. And we provide them with their toiletries, diapers, pampers. So all everything. that you're relying on Milk. donations. Yeah, and the individual that you mentioned is the person to get in contact yeah, with. Yeah, Demontre Bailey is for the donations, and Janice Cox is for volunteering. Mm-hmm. What about, I think you mentioned this. I don't think I dreamed you saying that somehow there's groups that also help yes. you in some way. How mm-hmm. does that work? Um, Schools, like they're even even high schools. Um, Something that Dayspring is, because also when I went to college, um, some of the some of requirements even with school is that you go volunteer at places mm-hmm. and we have relationships with like IU professors in IU, um, Brebuff, I believe high school is one of them, um, different churches. They bring groups of volunteers, different sororities and fraternities, um, and groups come out and volunteer. They may help clean up the grounds or plant garden. We just had a team, I believe it was Keller Williams that came out and planted a garden in the front. And so now the children are out there, learning how to grow vegetables and uh, make different meals and stuff based off of the stuff they planted. Um, just created this place until the ground people come in and paint and remodel different groups or prepare meals, serve. We have a family that's probably been serving. I think every Tuesday from Fishers, they come out and serve them dinner every day, bring them food and cook it and prepare it. Wow. So we have a Saturday people come, um, and and um cook but breakfast for them on Saturday so they don't have to eat cereal all week but they'll come in and cook them a full blown breakfast on Saturdays and so wow. different groups come in lots of opportunities yes well thank you so all much right. for your willingness to share with us all right well it, thanks for having me I'm sure that there'll many who are inspired by your story and so we really appreciate it all right thank you. Elliot, what can I say but joy brings joy, or maybe I should say joy is joy. Yeah, uh, joy definitely is. Every time I spend time with her, I walk away feeling ready to take on the world and just really energized and appreciative of how dedicated she is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very inspiring. And what she had to say, what things do you want to follow up on with our listeners yeah um that's a great question today so many things I have to pick one or a few I think something that I really loved about hearing her perspective having gone through and experienced homelessness in the profound ways that she did and having made some really big personal commitments to herself which Mm -hmm. Uh, when she talked about like, here are the things I would not um, take off of my priority list. And they were absolute. These were the things that were working for me. I had commitments Mm -hmm. uh, to myself. And that kind of um, active self-love 
I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of discussion we talked about like um you have to love yourself to love other people and how that's not true but I do think you do have to love yourself to sustainably love other people and that love needs to be expressed in the love as a behavior mm-hmm. like what actions are you doing um to care for yourself yes in in a real way and maybe another thing is you need to really you need to love yourself have that basic love of self to really change yourself or it wouldn't be sustainable also yeah absolutely change is very hard we Mm -hmm. all all humans struggle with it in a thousand ways Mm -hmm. and um the next time i think it's very easy to sit in judgment for folks and be like, oh, why don't they do X, Y, and Z? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think something that people really also discount is how much the trauma catches up with you when you stop, when you are safe for some period of time after a long period of not being safe. Sometimes all of the emotions and feelings that you like crush down while yes. you're in survival mode come up like a tidal wave and take you out. And like, that is a piece of it. Like that is one of the reasons people struggle to get momentum with, um, actions they need to be taking when they're in a kind of uh, limbo. Yeah. And definitely a shout out should go to Joy's mother and their church. The community that came around her played a major role in her transformation. Absolutely. We need community. We need community care and we need the care and acceptance. Um, We talked, she spoke about acceptance quite a bit of those around us. I'm sure it wasn't a smooth path when she made that commitment. No, not at all. Um, But it is really wonderful to hear the way, the way she did it and Mm -hmm. who, and who showed up for her and that, that, the degree to which that's important. Yep. Yeah. And she was what, I think she said she was like 30, early thirties when that happened. Yeah. That's, Hmm. Where I'm at right now, so yeah. I just nothing but respect, uh, nothing but respect and appreciation over here. Yeah, and in 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 her transformation, the other thing that jumped out at me is she had a zeal that she wanted to go out and help other people who were like herself, and she's learned to temper that to a degree, and I think that's somehow related to that self love and caring for yourself. Yeah, definitely. There's there's the tension between you want to help someone and walk alongside and you will go out of your way for folks and they have to be in a space to accept that help in good faith and also participate in that work as well. Yeah. Um, and she did a good job of describing how that tension kind of feels. It's like, okay, here's the expectation. Here's what we can offer. It is conditional on you doing these things because there's so many so many people who have need and so few resources mm-hmm. and it's terrible like I honestly wish we had an ability to let people take their time um, but sometimes there isn't that time yes yeah. Um, and yeah she strikes me as a person she she recognizes that she has to ask that of those she's serving for them to participate. But yet at the same time, her heart is so big that whatever their need is, if they show the least little bit of I'm in this, she would drive them all over the city to, to get them help. 
Yeah, absolutely. And like that generosity is critical. It's crucial. It's not excessive. It's not enabling. It's that that generosity and that kind of love and showing up and doing things for people because they deserve to be cared for Mm -hmm. and to have care shown to them. And that also helps model for them because a lot of folks in these situations have not had that or have had it intermittently or yeah yeah and so like how do you know to do that if it's not shown to you yeah anything else um the last thing i really want to point out is that like a lot of the folks experiencing homelessness are employed Mm, and yes that that came up again yet again this is not (laughs) crazy we hear it every episode um people experiencing homelessness often have a job And the fact that we are allowing people to um, work for not livable wages is inhumane. Mm -hmm. And we as a society really need to put some energy and effort into changing that. Yes. And at a very minimum, have a change of our own attitude toward those who are experiencing homelessness. It's not lazy people. No. And we... And, and and the fact that it's so it's so miserly to say, oh, we shouldn't help people because some of them might be taking advantage of the system. Stop. Just stop and think for a minute. That's not the big deal. And I would rather be kind to a hundred folks who are quote unquote taking advantage of the system than have anyone not have their needs met. Mm-hmm. Like no one deserves this. We yeah. should not be treating each other like this. Yeah. So... Yeah, that came out again loud and clear. Yeah, but um, in this also, there were a lot of ways to help out. There were so many places um, that people are showing up and contributing and spending their time and their energy um, being excellent neighbors. Yeah, yeah, and and unsung heroes. Like she mentioned the the family that for years has been providing a meal once a week. I mean, that that's crazy. It is. It's wonderful, and it makes a difference. Absolutely. Yeah. Wonderful is a better word than crazy, but I say crazy just in that it's, wow. Yeah, I, I love that. And you can, you can do that. You can make it part of your rounds, mm-hmm. part of your week. Yep. And I strongly encourage you all to go wherever you're called and do that. Yeah, and Dayspring is one of those places that you can find a niche like that. Absolutely. And families in particular need a lot of help. There's Mm -hmm. very little available for families. Um, So we encourage you call Dayspring. Call Dayspring. Take them donations. Go cook a meal. uh, Go volunteer. Um, Yeah, I think that's all we got for today. But once again, thank you to all of you who are moving through life with determination. Take some time for yourself, and thanks for joining us on the journey homeward.